0: Welcome to season two of the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. This show understands that there is quite a bit of diversity amongst the body of Christ. So we operate according to the motto that certain things are fixed, like the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective.
1: What's going on, beer lovers? What up? How's everybody doing? Hope all is well.
0: Um, I want a beer.
1: I, I also want a beer.
0: I drove uh, three and a half hours from Waco uh, and have been
1: recording content nonstop for the last two and a half.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm
1: I'm tired. Yeah, I, I need a beer. That sounds reasonable. So what you got? I have something by St. Arnold's. So hey, St. Arnold. Lord knows, I'm excited about it. Um, this is the. Sabro Coconut Island. It's a limited release IPA. I will tell you, I've never had this beer before. Mm-hmm. It's a double dry hopped IBA, IPA with Sabro hops, which if I'm being honest, that is a hop strain. I don't know that I've ever tasted. And if I have, it wasn't prominent. My suspicion is that they're getting some kind of coconut flavor yeah. off of this hop. Sabro is also the most prominent hop. It's the most of it. Sure. This is ABV 7.7, IBUs 52. The other hops outside of Sabro hops is Citra, Holler uh, to Blanc, and Howler to I have never had any. Of these hops, except Citra.
0: Yeah. I have not heard of any of those things. I am interested to see how you like that.
1: We'll find out. Uh, For listeners, uh, not the biggest fan of coconut. It's a texture thing, not necessarily a flavor thing, so it won't be a problem in beer. But not the biggest fan of coconut. Um, Really only like pina coladas. (laughs) That's really it.
0: (laughs) Um, So I have the uh, mocha sombrero. From Clown Shoes. Um, Gotta love Clown Shoes. Gotta love Clown Shoes. It is a Mexican-style chocolate stout with coffee and vanilla. Um, It has a picture on the front of a luchador with four arms holding, it looks to be, two cups of coffee, a coffee pot, and a latte in all four hands. So, highly caffeinated. <laughs> he's jacked. Um, and he's also wearing clown shoes. And what it says... Yeah, what's the lore? Bring me my cape. Now bring me my sombrero. Now, br- now, period. Bring me the coffee. The brave luchador has become quite the sensation. Without, but without proper caffeination and hydration, he would be nothing.
1: He's dope. He sounds like most Christians. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Kind of. Um, Mocha Sombrero takes our Mexican-style chocolate stout recipe and alters it with additions of coffee and vanilla, produced dark malt flavors mixed with sweet vanilla notes for a full-bodied and approachable stout. Please note this beer contains lactose, Um, and it is 7% ABV.
1: Dang. Ready? I'm ready. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Nope. Gosh oh, gosh dang. That's really,
0: super good.
1: It really does taste like coconut. Really? Gosh dang. It really does. And so you, you know how you can tell when it's got an adjunct in it or when it's just from the hops? It's just from the hops. Yeah. That
0: is... The kinds of things that you can create with hop blends is incredible. Just playing with hops and the blend, you can do some incredible things.
1: Yeah, holy hell. Um, That is a really good beer. Mm. Um, That's also really unique. Um, Mm. It's going to get an elevated score because... The uniqueness of it. I think I'm like 8'3". Wow. Yeah, it's really good. It's crisp. It's refreshing. Plenty of hop, but it's not like slapping you upside the face with right. it. The coconut is mellowing everything out. Uh, heebie-jeebies. I wish that wasn't limited. Um, so, I like mine
0: a lot. Uh, I don't know if I'm like 8 category. Um, but... The...
1: It's also St. Arnold. I right. understand. I'm yeah. biased.
0: Sure. Um, the coffee chocolate vanilla thing. I like it. I really do. And this is going to sound weird. Um, but I like this. It reminds me of like drinking a cup of coffee and smoking a cigar.
1: Oh, okay. So it's smoky? No.
0: It's oh. not smoky. But you know that like leftover um, taste in your mouth after finishing a cigar? Yeah. with Mix that with coffee. That is what it's presenting to me. It's like a to- it tastes like tobacco and coffee. I don't think that that's what they were going for, but that is what I'm tasting.
1: Well, you do end up, I mean, this is always the case, with the right kind of grain at a Lovabond level. High enough to make something dark like a stout or a porter. Yeah, you're inevitably going to run the risk of tobacco and smoke flavors, roasted flavors. Yeah, um, it's just it. It's it absolutely going to happen.
0: It reminds me of drinking coffee and smoking a cigar. Wow, um, that's cool. I thoroughly enjoy it. I'm sitting.
1: Seven five, probably. Oh, okay. Um good middle of the road score. Well, no, for I guess that yeah, I guess that is above average.
0: Um I do really like this beer. There's not been much from Clown Shoes that I have not liked, so I'm not surprised. Um but yeah. Wow. So let's jump into Christology.
1: Yeah, so the next thing that Ben and Randy want to talk about is Christology from above. So we did Christology from behind,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which is the Old Testament. We did Christology from below, which is the New Testament. Now we're going to do Christology from above. That is to say that the supremacy of Christ matters. Mm -hmm. There are multiple um, Christ hymns. In the New Testament, specifically in the letters of Paul, that discuss the idea of the supremacy of Christ. The most prominent of these is in Colossians. The other one's in Philippians. But the, if you were really going to have a conversation about Christology from above... That there's a supreme being up there that came down, manifested in the human named Jesus, who is the Messiah. Mm -hmm. It's the way you should talk about that structure. Mm -hmm. If you are going to do that, then the place you start from is John chapter 1. And the word became flesh. This is what John chapter one says in order, if you don't remember, in the beginning, Clayton, what does the word Genesis mean? Beginning. It literally means beginning. Genesis is called the beginning. Mm. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Mm -hmm. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. It's passages like this, going back to our conversation uh, on Let's Talk this week about holy war. It's this why I can't say that God rules over death. Yeah. God has conquered death because he is the God of life. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world... And the word, the thing that was from the beginning, the thing that was with God and was God, and the word became flesh and lived among us, we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. That's theology from above. That's what theology from above looks like going in taking what you know about God and applying that to Emmanuel, that God up there came to be present with us down here. Mm-hmm. That is Christology from above. Thoughts, questions, comments? Uh, Bible gone off the table?
0: No questions, no comments, no concerns.
1: Okay, so... Let's put it together. Let's put the story together. Yeah. Why does Christology matter? Because Jesus matters. Why does Jesus
0: matter? Because he is um, the, the ultimate um, conclusion and conqueror of death. The thing that corrupted the world has mm-hmm. now been defeated.
1: Can he do that if he's not god?
0: No. I don't think so. Why? <sighs> well, I don't know. You got me. I I don't know. I
1: there's no like there's yeah, no real know. way to answer it. Yeah. I don't um, I don't know. Because, I mean, yeah. It's, it's really, I mean, it's designed to be a question that can't be answered. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say is I personally think that's a very subjective question mm-hmm. that I don't think there's one answer to. No. I think the Bible is clear that Jesus is God. Sure. Um, and I I personally believe that. But honestly, I don't know if he can bring about salvation if. I don't know if he can bring about restoration if he's not God. Yeah. What I do know is the story gets a whole lot more beautiful if he is. Mm-hmm. Agreed. That God himself gave up. Gave up Godness. Mm-hmm. This is Philippians 2. Mm-hmm. Gave up Godness. Did not count equality with God something to be exploited. But emptied himself to take on humanity, Mm -hmm. to suffer with humans, even to the point of death on a cross, at which time God exalted him Mm -hmm. in glory and glory. That is Philippians 2.
0: I think my new favorite way to talk about this is... Jesus gave up Godness to come hang out with us hairless apes. I think that that is my new favorite way to talk about this. It's a really
1: satirical way. It's a disarming way to do it too. Um, The way the early church talked about this is they said God became man so that man might become God. Right. They talked about it in deification language. Right. That it's the beauty of the fact that God became man Mm -hmm. because that's the thing that makes it possible for man to become like God. Right. Agreed. Um, So I personally think it matters. However, I will also say I think it's a very subjective thing. I think Mm -hmm. the Bible is very clear. Um, But to each their own. I am a good Baptist. And if you have forgotten, Wellhouse is technically a Baptist church. We are not a Southern Baptist church, but we are a Baptist church. And if you have forgotten... The foundation, founding principles of Baptist life, one of them is religious liberty. Mm -hmm. That means that each individual person has the freedom to go and live and believe however they so choose, and it's not my responsibility to try to uh, convince you otherwise. No. You have religious freedom. That is one of the beautiful things when we actually give people religious freedom. freedom. Yeah, that that's the thing. We don't, though. <laughs> oh, no. We, we don't. It's terrible. Um, okay, so historical debates. I'm mm-hmm. going to skip over this. Okay. Um, we are going to talk briefly. I'm not going to talk in detail about this. Um, there are two historical debates that I really want to talk about. Or three, actually. Number one, and this is more of a disclaimer. I personally use the Nicene Creed as the measuring stick of faithful Christian doctrine. Sure. Um, And even then, there's a lot of leeway in how you interpret the Nicene Creed. Yeah. I don't count Chalcedon. I don't count any of them after that. I -hmm. count Nicaea in 325 and its final form of the Nicene Creed in 381. Mm -hmm. That is the standard. Everything else are good suggestions that we're allowed to pull from. So that's my caveat about these that we're about to talk about. Let's talk about Gnosticism. Okay. Let's talk about Gnosticism. Do you know what Gnosticism was or is? It is very much still alive and well. We just don't call it that anymore. Um, we call it Christianity, but
0: so I'm not going to be able to explain it as well as you, I don't think. But essentially, it is. It looks very similar to Deism, right? Am I correct in saying that?
1: Maybe in some ways it has similar properties.
0: Yeah, um, but beyond seeing that similar that similarity, I don't know if. Um, I could give a good rundown of Gnosticism. So
1: Uh, Gnosticism was a belief as a sectarian belief, an offshoot of Christianity. They prioritized in G. Well, here's the main premise of Gnosticism material world Mm -hmm. matter, right? is evil the only thing that's good and divine is the spiritual Mm. the way in which you achieve the spiritual divine is through a scent of knowledge specifically special saving knowledge that you get from the bible Mm -hmm. but why is that a conversation for christology Because if Gnostics believe that matter is bad, then God cannot be human. Mm. Human is material. So the Gnostics said that Jesus was not human. Jesus was only divine. Mm. Now this creates two problems. Problem number one, God can't die. Right. And therefore God can't conquer death. Um. Now, that is also not to say that the humanity of Jesus is the only thing that died. Mm -hmm. I do think God died. God died on the cross. If Jesus is a whole human being and he is modeling the way in which God became man so that man might become God, God died. That's the only way in which this works. Sacrifice had to be made Mm -hmm. and the one thing that God would not allow Abraham to do was to sacrifice his own son. Mm-hmm. He did not afford himself that same grace. Mm. God died. Yeah. The Gnostics did not believe that. They could not believe that. That creates problems for ancient Christians. I think it creates problems for the story. I, if Jesus is not human and divine, I do not think it works. Now, we talked about Nicene Creed. Mm -hmm. That was... Excuse me. That was a council against a guy named Arius. We've already talked about this council, so I'm going to skip over that. Now we're briefly going to talk about Chalcedon. Now, this is in 451. This is the one that I don't count as binding on Christian tradition. I think it's helpful. I think it should be consulted. I don't necessarily count it as binding. However, I will say that Christian tradition says that you need both a human Jesus and a divine Jesus. Mm -hmm. I personally believe in both of those. I think that is the heart of the Christian witness and mission message. Um, but there are lots of people who call themselves Christians. Specifically, a whole book about them. Right over there. Called The Lost Gospels.
0: Uh, no.
1: Nah, it's not important. It's probably over there by the Bart Ehrman section. No, you already passed it. Yeah, somewhere in there. If not, it's over there. Um with my Uh, hermeneutical stuff. It's not here. Uh, Yeah, it's over there. But Lost Christianities. um, Here it is. Bart D. Ehrman. Yes, the Bart Ehrman you are thinking of. Um, Now, to be fair, I think Bart is an exceptional reader of texts. Um, I think his hostility towards Christians is problematic but I also think it's merited because he grew up in fundamentalism and became an agnostic and so because of that he doesn't believe in Christianity and has devoted his life to disproving it um, I don't think he really can in the ways that he's trying however because I think he's a great scholar and a great thinker I always want to read his books But I don't want him to make any advancements off me buying his books. So I always buy them at Half Price Books. If you're a book nerd, there's an easy way to get around this. Anyways, this is a book that he wrote. It's called Lost Christianities. Subtitle of the book, The Battles for Scripture and the Faiths We Never Knew. An entire book of people that were trying to do the same thing that Christians were doing. And Christians told them that their beliefs, their doctrines didn't match. Mm -hmm. So we kicked them out. Um, Gnosticism and Gnostics are in there. Um, Christians, uh, Coptic Christians fall into this category. Uh, they read Coptic an ancient um, another language that has a lot of Christian writings. Um, I actually think it's Egyptian and I think it's related to Uh, The Alexandrian Christians, they're more mystic. But anyways, um, it's because of that book that I don't count Chalcedon. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Because I think there are a lot of people in there that could affirm the Nicene Creed they cannot affirm Chalcedonian. Chalcedonian Creed or the Chalcedonian teaching. And so there's my... Disclaimer on that. But let's talk about Chalcedon. So Chalcedon is uniquely concerned with challenges around Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of birthed. The beginning of it comes from the work of Cyril of Alexandria, who we've already talked about. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is what the definition of Chalcedon says. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach people to confess the one and only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in deity and also perfect in humanity, truly God and truly man with a rational soul and body, consubstantial of the same being, with the Father according to deity and consubstantial with us according to the humanity. In all things like unto us, except without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to deity, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God according to humanity, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation." The distinctives of the natures are by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature, the ousia, that's the Greek word for nature, is preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence. Hypostasis. Not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophet from the beginning, Concerning him and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers, the Nicene Creed, has handed down to us. So, I say all of that to say they have done this because they think it's in conjunction with the Nicene Creed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know what to do with this. I, I personally believe this way. Mm-hmm. However, did you hear me quote a single Bible verse in no,
0: this? No, nowhere.
1: Um, can you give me anywhere in the Bible that I can make up these teachings? No, it's not philosophical really. theology. Yeah. There's no way to do that. No. There's not, we're not proof texting Bible verses to affirm Chalcedon. Mm-hmm. Uh, We can with Nicaea. Right. It's just really hard. Um, And I'm not really in the business of being exclusionary. I personally believe in homoousia and the two natures, non-competing natures of Christ. Um, But I don't think it's required for salvation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will say... It's required for my personal belief in salvation, so sure. I'm given over to deification. Yeah. I believe that as human existence, mm. our goal, our telos, our end, our purpose of being here is to become like God. Yeah. That the more restored and healed we become, the more we begin to reflect the life and character of Jesus and end up at a point. Where we can achieve godlikeness, Right. Um, I do believe that is ontological. I do believe that when Moses comes down from the mountain and the text says that he is glowing, I think that matters. I do mm. think that ontologically, uh, human beings are capable of becoming God.
0: Uh, people placing uh, their sick friends at Peter's
1: shadow to be healed. Mm-hmm. The reason that I bring all of that up is because I do believe that you need those things. Um, And the reason I believe that is because I believe in the image of God. Mm -hmm. I believe that humanity is made in the image and likeness of God. I believe there is something to the idea of moral law. Um, I believe there is something to the natural law of the sanctity of human life and my, quote-unquote, proof to you, if you wanted it, uh, which I'm kind of radically against that epistemology, but because I'm having a conversation with an audience that doesn't talk back, here you go. Um, The image of God really, really matters. Yep. Um, and my proof that it matters would be that cannibalism is considered an atrocity. Mm-hmm. That if you were, yeah, like we just, people don't eat humans. It's rare. It's rare. Um, but if you were living on a farm and you had an animal... That you had to put down or kill for some reason. Lord knows you'd harvest as much of that as you could. Mm-hmm. But when uh, old Grandma Betty dies, we don't look to eat her. Because there's sanctity right. in human life. right? Heck, Clayton, there's not even stories. There's not even war stories of people starving with dead bodies all around them. Mm-hmm. They don't need people. It's rare that people eat the image of God. Yeah. And when they do, it's so unheard of. It makes us sick. It turns our stomach. Yeah. Because there's something about the image of God. And because there's something about the image of God, there's something about God coming down and taking on that image.
0: Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out
1: our other podcasts.